The following message was recorded at Beth Zion Messianic Synagogue in Jackson, New Jersey. Join us every Saturday and learn to see the truth of Messiah through Jewish eyes. We have Christian Montoya, one of our leaders in the congregation, coming up. Preparing for something new. And it's funny this week that I'm doing this topic and that we have this uh, portion about the people in Corinth preparing for this gift that they were to give because it also just so happens that preparing or being prepared is a hot topic this week. I read on the on the front page of Scientific American yesterday an article about how it's good to be prepared. In this case it was for the impending coronavirus but it was talking about how you should have supplies on hand and be ready for the possibility of being um, self-quarantined, being stuck at home for a while and making sure you have whatever medications or cleaning supplies or whatever you may need. Um, my message is not about that, um, but I just thought it was interesting. God has a great sense of humor that as I'm preparing this message and thinking a lot about being prepared, I'm also reading all these articles about how you should prepare for something different. Um, but usually, when we see passages like the ones we just read in Exodus, we have a habit of kind of glossing over them because this passage is awfully technical. It gets into all these details about dimensions and materials and the methods for how everything should be put together. And I think a lot of people, when they get to this part of Exodus, they might say, I didn't read it. I skimmed over it. Yeah, I saw a lot about measurements and materials and so forth, and I kind of skipped ahead to the next Torah portion or something like that, right? Um, but we shouldn't be deciding for ourselves which parts of the scriptures are important or not important to be reading. So that attitude can lead to dangerous outcomes. People could say, well, if I didn't think this portion was important to read, maybe some other portion is important to read. And before you know it, you have people saying, yeah, well, I don't really follow that part or this part or whatever. So first of all, I have to say that um, we should look at this in earnest and think about what it means for us. Now, I'm not going to get into some esoteric discussion about what the dimensions of some pole means or these materials that they used have some mystical meaning that, you know, I know some people like to get into that kind of stuff. What I think is more important to look at is um, what it really means, this level of detail that God is giving them in the construction of the ark. And why? So with the ark, as you may know, the plan was that God was going to inhabit this ark. It would be a tabernacle. And part of the reason that it was so important for them to build it the right way and for them to take it so seriously was because God wasn't going to just inhabit any ark. Okay? It was, this was going to be a holy, sacred place. So they really needed to think about and take it seriously what it was that they were building. And we see other places in the scriptures where God is giving this level of detail as he's giving them instructions. For example, when Noah is building the ark, a different kind of ark, Right? God gives him very specific instructions about what kind of wood to use and how to build and how big it needs to be. And then he gives him very specific instructions about which animals to bring on board the ark. And seven pairs of the clean animals and two of the unclean animals and so forth. Likewise, in the Haftorah portion for this week, we see King Solomon is given very specific instructions. Who should build the temple? How much material they have to bring? How they're going to build it? And he gives very exact, very specific guidelines on what it is that they are supposed to do. He does not just say, build me an ark, make it yay big, I'll see you in a couple months. You know, he doesn't just tell them, uh, you know, build a temple and, you know, make it nice and I'll be back in a while and, you know, we'll see, right? That's not the attitude that God has. 
Now, why is this so important? Well, maybe you have realized at this point that this message is about what God has in store for us, right? What are the plans that God has for our lives, right? What does God have for each of you? And maybe most of you know that God has a plan for you. Maybe you already know that, or maybe you have some inkling, some idea about that. Maybe you've heard this before. But part of the reason that I have to bring this up because I, because I need to challenge this worldly notion that a lot of people believe, and some believers believe this even without realizing it. See, a lot of people think that God created the world, right? Maybe they accept that a world this complex needed to have a creator. Maybe they believe in intelligent design. They believe God created the world and then he set it in motion, but then for the most part, he's a distant God. They think that in our own lives, we're kind of on our own. They might say things like, God helps those who help themselves, or they'll say, just be a good person and you'll go to heaven. And that's kind of the attitude that they have what they believe God is like. And you may have heard that before, and maybe you think obviously that's not true, right? But how many of you may have heard this one, right? Some people will say, well, ultimately what matters in life is that you're a good person. Fulfill the basics, be nice to everyone, maybe pray, maybe go to a, you know, a congregational service, maybe be part of a, of a congregation and do your fellowship. Just do the basic duties and you'll be fine right? Do we sometimes tell ourselves that? I think a lot of people believe that. I think a lot of people fall for that and they don't even know it, right? I think a lot of followers of Messiah believe that and they think that's enough and they don't see anything wrong with it. So what is wrong with it? Am I saying that if you do those things, you're still going to go to hell? No, that's not what I'm saying, right? I'm not saying that you're not going to go to heaven because this isn't enough. But what I'm here to talk about today is what does God really want our relationship with him to be? What is it that he actually wants for us? Okay, does he want us to just do the basics and go on to get along and just wait like we're just waiting until the day we go to heaven? Does God want to be distant and minimally involved in our lives? Right? Does he just want to, you know, give us the basic instructions before leaving earth, right? Give you the scriptures and you work it out and that's it and he'll see you, you know, down the road when we go up to meet him? No, that's not what God wants for us, right? That God wants a lot more for us than that. And when we look at the scriptures and how he gives these specific instructions and the relationship that he has with each of the people that we read about in the scriptures who were called to serve God, we see something way more in-depth than that, something deeper, a much stronger relationship. But maybe all of us don't have this sort of experience where God gives us specific instructions, right? You might be thinking, well, I'm not like, uh, Moshe, and I, I haven't had God come to me and give me this long list of exactly what I'm supposed to do. You know, God told Moshe, strike the rock this way, and the next time he told him, speak to the rock. And most of us are thinking, I haven't heard a single word from God, so I don't know what you're talking about. So what do we do when we don't have the exact instructions? Well, firstly, I have to say, just because we don't have the instructions doesn't mean they haven't been given, right? Just because we don't hear the instructions doesn't mean that God isn't speaking to us, right? It's like, Sometimes I tell my kids, why didn't you put your shoes away like you were supposed to? And they say, well, you didn't tell me. And I'm like, yes, I did tell you. You just didn't hear me, right? They might think I didn't tell them, but I did. They just didn't hear it. But when we look at this passage, um, you know, I was reading about a little bit of the background of this process by which Paul is writing to the Corinthians about the Macedonians. And so I looked back at Acts chapter 16. And there's this passage where God redirects Paul, Rav Shaul, right? He redirects Rav Shaul in order to go to Macedonia. And it's really interesting. 
It says in Acts chapter 16, verse 6, that they traveled through Phrygia and Galatia, and that the Ruach had prevented them from speaking in the province of Asia. Now, in this case, Rav Shaul thought he was going to go to Asia Minor, which is Turkey, right? And at that point, he had only been speaking in Asia. He hadn't crossed into Europe yet. And he thought he was just going to go and speak in Asia, and the Ruach, the Spirit of God, prevented him from doing that. And then it says he was going to go to Mystia, then Bithynia, but that the Spirit of Yeshua would not let them. And then they came to Troas, and one night, Rav Shaul had a dream, and a man from Macedonia was begging him and pleading with him to come to Macedonia and help them. And then he says in verse 10, the next day, they lost no time in getting ready to leave for Macedonia, for they concluded that God had called them to proclaim the good news to them. So this was different from how Moshe or King Solomon had received instructions from God. What Paul experienced is more, more like what we will experience. Most of us will experience very similar to this. We may not have a list up front of what it is that God wants us to do. We may not have the exact instructions. We may feel oftentimes like we're stepping out in faith, doing something that we're not sure necessarily this is exactly what God wants me to do. But if we do this and we step forward in faith, if we take action rather than sitting on our laurels, then all we have to do is be willing to listen to God and accept that maybe the thing that we're stepping forward to do isn't the right thing, and God will show us along the way. As long as we can receive correction, God can guide us, and as we go through it, then we'll realize God really did have specific plans for me. I just needed to find out what they were. And part of the reason that I want to, um, that I want to say this is because I think what happens to a lot of people, right? A lot of people, when they, get, um, when they come to know Yeshua, right, and they pray and they acknowledge Yeshua as the Savior and the Son of God, and they repent of their sins, they start out with this zeal, right? This fire for God that they want to go and share the good news. But oftentimes what they do is they say, here's what I know, here's my set of talents, God must want me to do this, right? And I always like the example of like, you have a guy who's in a rock and roll band, and he gets saved and he realizes that everything he knew was wrong, and now he wants to serve God. And he immediately thinks, I'm supposed to reach people in the rock and roll community, right? And they go and try to do that, and for a while, maybe they have a little bit of progress, but maybe they don't. And they end up getting really frustrated, right, and really lukewarm, because everything around them in the rock and roll community is just bringing them down. And they're having less influence than the rest, than everything around them is having an influence on them. And after a while, they realize, that's actually not what God wanted me to do, <laughs> you know? I thought because I was a rock and roll musician and I had this talent and I had all these connections that that's what God wanted me to do, but I wasn't listening to see what God actually had for me. And I say this partly because usually what happens is we have some idea for ourselves about what God wants us to do, but God has something completely different. And he says, I'm making you a new creation. And that might be something totally different than what we expected. And sometimes God wants us to do something that we have no talent in, right? Moshe was not a good speaker. He certainly had no experience in leadership. And yet God said, go to Pharaoh and speak as someone with authority. And also lead all these people out of Egypt and also they're, they're not gonna like you or get along with you. <laughs> and they're really, not, they're really gonna give you a hard time. So we have to be willing to listen and see what it is that God actually has for us. 
And it might be something totally expect, unexpected, and it might be something that we think is very difficult. But if we listen to what God has for us, he can give us the exact instructions that we need, that all we have to do then is step forward in faith and do it. See, God is a God of details. He is a God of depth. He's not a shallow God. His plans for us are not shallow. The fact that we may not know everything that he wants us to do doesn't mean that there isn't depth to it. We just don't know. We just may not have all the details yet, but what God has for us is very specific. And it's also to say that the plan that he has for you is unique. It's a different plan that he, than what he has for anyone else. It's not necessarily what your parents think you should do, what your boss at work thinks that you should do, what your family thinks you should do, right? It's not necessarily what your spouse thinks that you should do or what you've been told your whole life. Because if you don't know exactly what it is, chances are most other people don't know either. And you may need to seek out some godly counsel, some people who you know actually do talk to God who can help you find the right way. But ultimately, you have to be willing to listen to God. Now, some people will say, well, God doesn't really care what I do in my day-to-day. -day. Right? God doesn't really care if I do this or that. God isn't really concerned with how I spend my time outside of Shabbat. How many of you heard this one, right? How I spend my time outside of my prayer time. See, what a lot of people do and why people struggle with this is because they compartmentalize, right? They have their, the way that they act, the way that they present themselves when they go into a congregational setting. And they may have a way that they act when they pray or when they're around other believers. But then they have a different way that they act when they're around their friends. And they act a different way when they're at work. And they act a different way when they argue with people about politics or current events or something like that. And we have different ways that we present ourselves and we kind of compartmentalize and we say, well, I have my time with God and then I have my other time. And we may talk different, we may dress different in these different settings. We may say different things. We may have different boundaries for what we think is acceptable, whether we're in a congregational setting, whether we're talking to other believers, or whether we're talking to non-believers, whether we're in a work setting or a school setting. Let me tell you that we should look at it this way, right? If I were to ask someone who knows you in a different setting, someone who knows you outside of Beth Zion, maybe someone who's not a believer, maybe they're a coworker or a friend who doesn't come here, if I were to ask them, would they describe you as a believer? Would they know that you believe in God? Would they know that you're on fire for the Lord? Or would they say, really? So-and-so? They believe in God? Really? They go to synagogue on Saturdays? They pray and read the Bible? Do they see you as having a different moral attitude than what the world finds acceptable? I have an interesting side note here, right? How does the adversary convince us to sin? The adversary would love to see us all sin. He would love to see us all do things that God doesn't like. The adversary already has non-believers sinning and they don't even know it and it's not really their fault. The adversary has that locked up, right? What the adversary wants to do is make the believers sin because he loves to challenge God and say, I can make them sin. I can convince them to do it, right? He can't make us do anything, but if he tempts us, what we do is up to us. Well, how does he make us believe that it's okay, right? How does he convince us to do these things? 
all that he has to do is convince us that the things that we are doing aren't really sinful. Most people don't do bad things knowing that they're bad, right? If someone does bad things and they know that it's bad, usually that's psychopathic behavior or it's some kind of mental or emotional instability, right? Usually what people, people don't say, yes, I did all these things and I knew it was bad and I shouldn't have done it, right? Usually what people say is, um, yeah, well, God doesn't really care if I'm with my old college buddies and I'm telling inappropriate jokes. God doesn't really care if I went shopping and I didn't tell the cashier that I didn't, you know, they, they missed one of these things and I got it for free. You know, usually we, we get this attitude where we start to, you know, differentiate these things are okay and these things aren't okay. And so when we do that, right, we, we start to have justifications. And the same attitude happens when we justify having one sort of attitude, one, one lifestyle, right, where we, we serve God, right? We have one way that we present ourselves in a congregation. We have our prayer time and we read the Bible. Maybe we don't read it often enough, right? We have one attitude about those things and then we have another attitude about our day-to-day -day life. And the thing is, you are not going to find the path that God wants you to be on if you're just having a part-time relationship with God. And that's something I want to get into in a little bit later. But in order for you to really follow the path that God has for you, you have to have a, this mindset of, it's not just a Shabbat thing. It's not just a, a prayer time thing, right? It's an every time thing. My relationship with God is a, is a constant journey that I have with God. And I'm always thinking about how am I serving God in the big things and in the little things, in the day to day, right? How am I representing God to the people that I meet? What is the, the um, example that I'm putting forward? So the reason that I mentioned this, right, this part about we shouldn't sit on our laurels, right? I talked about Rav Shaul, and I said, Rav Shaul didn't know exactly what God wanted him to do, but he knew he had to go out there and speak and share with people. The reason that I share this is because I want us to avoid this, this thing that I was talking about, where believers come to know the Lord, and then they kind of just stop at that point, right? A lot of people, they, they come to know Yeshua. We call it, you know, some people call it they get saved, right? They experience salvation. They might get plugged into a congregational environment, a messianic synagogue or a church, something like that, hopefully. Um, they become part of the crowd, right? And then what they do is they take. They become takers. They come into a congregational setting with this attitude of what can God do for me? What can the rabbi or the rebbitzin or the pastor or the leaders, what can the worship leader or the intercessory prayer team or the Oneg team, what can they do for me? How can they solve my problems? I have my needs. I have my issues. What can they do for me? And what they don't say is, what can I do for God? Right? And it's fine to come with your problems. You need to bring your problems here. You need to seek counsel and advice. By all means, ask the intercessory prayer team to pray for you. Right? Ask the rabbi all of your issues. Yes, do that. But beyond that, when we have a lot of people who take and take and they don't give, right? When they don't take part in building up the congregation, we're not able to do as much as we want to do to reach other people with the good news, right? Because we all have a calling. We have this gift from God. How do we let other people know about this gift? We want to expand God's kingdom. We want other people to be blessed as well, right? And what I've learned in my own experience, when I'm serving God and doing something to spread his kingdom, 
I find that a lot of my own problems and struggles are much easier to deal with. If I'm just looking to God, God, please solve my problems and let me go on being just a passenger, a member of the crowd, it's not the same as when I say, God, I have all these struggles, but I want to serve you. And in serving him, I can have those blessings. So let me tie this into this portion from 2 Corinthians that we read. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Rav Shaul, he's writing to the Greeks in Corinth, and he's writing about the Macedonians. Now, the Greeks and the Macedonians used to be enemies. They used to be rivals, right? They didn't get along. But now that they're both having these believer communities that are growing, they're becoming um, neighbors. And Rav Shaul is showing them how they can serve each other. And Rav Shaul is saying that, see, what you may not have realized in reading this passage is that um, he mentions elsewhere that the, the Macedonians have been suffering from severe poverty, right? They actually are giving generously despite the fact that they don't have much for themselves. And they've been giving to support the expansion of the kingdom and also to help those in need, right? Rav Shaul and the other emissaries need those funds to be able to go out and speak the good news and share with more people, but also they've been giving to help all these other people in need. And so Shaul is instructing the Greeks that they should be giving this generous gift partly to impress the Macedonians. Now this preparing of the gift, right, you may call it fundraising, is a lot of work. Just like collecting tithes or offerings in any congregational setting is a lot of work. And, you know, usually people in a congregational setting, they don't want to hear about tithes, offerings, they don't want to hear about giving, right? I mean, I used to be this way when I was younger, right? I would, sometimes I would go and visit a church or, or a congregational setting or a synagogue, something like that, and I would hear someone start talking about why you should tithe or, you know, why you should do offerings and things like that, and I would think, oh, great, this message again. Why are they always talking about this stuff? But Shaul is not being coy at all. He's not just telling them that they should do this. He's giving them instructions, and then he's saying, and by the way, I've sent some people ahead of me to make sure that it gets done, and I want to be certain that when I get there, that this gift is not an embarrassment, but something that is going to impress the Macedonians with how willing you are to give. Right? So, if you don't like it, take it up with Shaul. I mean, if Shaul is doing this, I, I see the value of it, right? The man knew how to plant congregations. He knew how important this work was so that it would build up the kingdom and they would be able to go out and reach more people. So let me pull this all together. We have a responsibility as believers to build up ourselves, right? The scripture tells us that we are tabernacles that God will inhabit, and to build up our congregations that our congregations are meant to be houses of worship for God to inhabit, that his Ruach will inhabit us and will inhabit our congregations. The former is so that we can fulfill the, God that ha the, the calling that God has for us. Right? God wants us to fulfill a calling that he already has in store for us. And the latter is so that we can build up these congregations that can be welcoming and inclusive and reach other people. Right? Because we can do so much more together than what each of us would do on our own. You may have heard the saying, build it and they will come. We don't ask God to send multitudes in. We don't ask him to send people in to come to know him just so that we can be ill-prepared and not be ready to receive those multitudes, right? We don't say, God, send a bunch of people and when they get here, there's just going to be an empty parking lot. No, that's not what we want to do, right? 
We want to build up a place so that we are ready when God sends people in, we can reach them, we can speak to them, we can minister to them, pray for them, right? And you may say, why, why would we do all this, right? Because we expect the multitudes. We expect God to multiply our congregation. See, as we expect these answers to our prayers, right, as we pray that we can reach more people, we labor to ensure that we make the necessary preparations to meet the answers to those prayers. So I share this because I want to say that if anyone feels like they're coasting, if you feel like you're a passenger in the kingdom, right, if you feel like you're a passenger on this path, then you're not really running the race, right? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. So then, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us too put aside every impediment, that is, the sin which easily hampers our forward movement, and keep running with endurance in the contest that is set before us. It specifies the, content, the contest that is set before us. In other translations, it says, the race that is set before us. It's referring to each of us having a path that God is setting before us. And then we are meant to run forward with endurance, right? Endurance, not just you run on Saturdays and weeknights, right? But every day to run forward in the path that God has set for us so that we will fulfill the calling that God has given us. See, here's what it really comes down to. Follow with me here. God does not want to date you. God does not want to date you. He doesn't want to see you just on weekends and then you call him on weeknights. It doesn't say that we are the girlfriend of Messiah. The scripture doesn't say that we are being prepared to be the girlfriend of Messiah and he'll see us sometimes. Just when we want to prepare ourselves and present ourselves in the nicest way. And then we go back and have our, you know, we're just regular with everyone else, right? It says in the scriptures that the kingdom of God is the bride of Messiah. It's a relationship that is 24-7. If you think about a marriage, right? Your finances are joined. You make decisions together. You share your wishes and your concerns with each other. You lift each other up. Whatever you're going through, you lean on each other, right? If you think about it that way, when it says make known the desires of your heart, isn't that what you would do in a marriage with someone? You wouldn't keep your desires to yourself. You wouldn't say, yeah, I have this dream that I could do such and such in my career, but, you know, what, you wouldn't tell your spouse about it? Obviously, you would want to, that's the first person you would want to tell. And you agree in a marriage on the values and the boundaries of how you navigate life together. You agree on what you think is acceptable, and you practice those boundaries together. And how you want to navigate life. How do you walk the walk with God? Not something you do sometimes. If anyone here is married and you think this doesn't sound like marriage to you, that might be a personal problem <laughs> because this is what marriage is meant to be. And by all means, pray to God and say, if, that's, if you want your marriage to be like that, pray to him. He can make it like that. But I assure you that this analogy is sound. Our relationship is meant to be like a marriage with God. It is meant to be an every time thing. It's meant to be a constant thing. It's meant to be joined together, agreeing together, and walking forward together. It's only when we make our walk with God like that, 24-7, a whole life thing, that we can be ready to hear from God what he intends for us to do. It's only then that we can find the path that he has set before us and that he will reveal the plans that he has for our lives. Much like Rav Shaul, it was revealed to him where he needed to go. And when we follow in that path 
that is when God blesses us, right? There's so many blessings that God has in store for you. But we don't experience those blessings when we're going off in the wrong direction. If you feel like you're not experiencing the blessings, the great calling that God has for you, you just need to go back to him and say, God, what would you have me do? What is it that I'm not seeing? What are the areas in my life where I'm not serving you? What are the things that are distracting me from you? What am I listening to you to that is not from you? Right? What is, what is bringing me away from you? What is separating us? Right? Like in a marriage, you would say, what's keeping us apart? Right? God, what is separating me from you? When we, when we are in connection with him, and we're serving him, and we're expanding the kingdom of God, then we experience all the great blessings that he has for us. Ephesians, I'm going to close with this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. If you take away one verse, take this away. For we are of God's making, created in union with the Messiah Yeshua, for a life of good actions already prepared by God for us to do. Or I like how it says in another translation, for we are his workmanship, created in Messiah for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. I implore you today to walk in him, not just sometimes, not just a little bit, but at all times. And make your relationship an all times thing. That's it. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was a beautiful, beautiful message and very important to always be reminded of. Uh, I was thinking, too, with that Ephesians verse prepared in advance for us to walk in it. Um, in the, one of the verses that we read, you read in there, uh, it said in verse, <laughs> I can see it with my glass, in verse 8 it said, they are to make me a sanctuary. We sometimes think that our coming to the Lord, the sanctuary is made, you're done. But there's a purpose always for what God is doing. And you brought it out so beautifully. He says, they are to make me a sanctuary so that I may live among them. The whole purpose is for his presence to have a place in us to be there. And there was a verse that I, a little further down that I thought was so uh, kind of need to tie in with it, a little out of context, but he says, into the ark you are to put the testimony which I'm about to give you. Now he's talking about the tablets, but in our life, we don't know what's prepared before us. He doesn't want us to spin and try to figure it out. He wants to show us and develop us in that walk. And you brought out those things beautifully, but I think about this verse that way also, into the ark, to put the testimony which I'm about to give you. Not the testimony that I think I'd like to have and promote without doing something, but God is always working a testimony in us. He's always working out that plan. And as he does, he says, put it into the ark, into the place where the angels and God's presence is abiding. The testimony I'm about to give you. Our life is a building testimony. He's doing that continually. And I think it's, and he knows us by name. You didn't mention it. You quoted the, the he mentioned the Torah, Haftorah portion. But I thought about this too. From where you were talking about, the Haftorah portion starts off with Hiram. Now, I don't know about you, but I think if it wasn't for Hiram being mentioned in that particular place, no, nobody would ever think of the name Hiram. 
obscure, nothing. This guy had a powerful place because God had a place for him. God knows you by name, and you may think nobody knows you, but God knows you. And God has a name, and he wants us to know him and not about him. Yeshua means salvation, and Yeshua has made available to us that name that is above every name. And that's his testimony, his way of bringing us into union with him. And I, I, I think that, uh, I mean, you covered everything in it. It was beautiful, beautifully done. And um, I, I just think that um, we need to always check where we stand. If there's people here who have never asked Messiah into your, if you've never asked Messiah into your life, you're missing the most important part of life. Your testimony is developing and you don't even know it. But as you yield yourself and give opportunity for him to come in, he's not going to just come in and take over. He's going to come in where you allow him in. And from there, everything will begin to change. And the focus will bring us to completion and to that gifted testimony that's yours alone. But it starts by asking him in. Maybe you've asked him in and you've drifted. And uh, I, I love some of those anal analogies you made also. Very, very good. We don't want it to be partial. It has to be as full-time, 24-7. And just watch God build that testimony. But start by asking him. And if you think you've drifted, the wonderful thing about it is anytime you can turn to him and he'll begin to restore and set us into a new place. Yeah, something new. I like that. So let's all stand as we prepare to close with the ironic benediction. And uh, I want to encourage you just for a moment. If you've never asked Messiah into your life, ask him in. That's not the end. That's like you were saying. It's not dating. But it's a good start. And then let him make himself known to you. You know what he makes known to you when he makes himself known to you? He makes you known to you. You think you know you. He knows more. And he knows what you're called to be. And I guarantee it's a lot better than you think you are. Start by meeting the one who can change everything and ask him into your life. We're going to have people up here praying. I'm asking them to come forward at this time. And after the service, if there's something, you need prayer for anything. If you want to pray with somebody about knowing the Lord, whatever it is, if you need healing, whatever it is, come up for prayer. If you have questions, be happy to answer those for you. And today's a good day. We have asked the rabbi. But if you have personal questions you want to do, we can do that as well. So we're going to pray. And I would ask you just, if you don't know the Lord, just to ask him in. You don't have to go through the litany of all the things that you've done. But just know that you've been missing the mark and you don't want to do that anymore. You can't make the change, but he can change you. You just ask him in and ask him to forgive you of your sins and to give you a clean heart, a new heart, and a new place for him to make his dwelling. And uh, we can talk about that more. Lord, we ask you to bless with all of these words that were brought today. 
for this wonderful message, to be able to see the new things come out of places that we met, and I think there's anything there, but you know, Lord, we ask you to bless abundantly. In Yeshua's name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To learn more about Beth Zion, please visit our website at www.bethzion.org.